How about a huge Alberta welcome for the one and only Tucker Carlson. supernatural but you are filled with this power from somewhere else try it tell the truth about something you feel it every day the more you tell the truth the stronger you become no wrong gain in the propane guns the chosen one half the living proof with the gift of gas from the city of truth i jabbed and stabbed and knocked critics back and i did not stutter when i said that i'm going platinum selling rhymes i went platinum seven Thank you. I'm really honored. <laughs> I think that's, that's my friend Kid Rock in the background. Thank you truly for having me. Wow, that was the wildest uh, intro I've had ever. Um, someone just gave me this t-shirt, which I just love so much, I'm actually going to wear it in the privacy of my own home. Al freaking Berta, baby. What a, what a, what a great province this is, what a great country this is. In fact, I was just be told, I've never actually never said this to anyone, including my wife, but I know that in Canada it's official policy that coming out of the closet is good, <laughs> unless you're the prime minister. Uh, but so I'm going to, um, I'm going to reveal something about myself that I've never revealed, which is that I am part Canadian. And yes, I am. I, I actually am part Canadian. And I was thinking this morning, I was like, you know, I always say I'm the only American who's like legitimately interested in Canada, and I am, and I always have been, and I wonder why am I so obsessed with Canada? And I thought, because I'm part Canadian. My great-grandfather, actually my father's family was in the colonies, and then they brought democracy, and they're like, we're out, we're going to Nova Scotia. And um, so they spent a couple hundred years there, the refuses, they're still there, by the way. I think they're all liberals, but... Um, and then my great-grandfather's like, I'm gonna try that again. So he comes to the United States and I'm here as a result. So I feel it in, in me is Canadian. And I've been all over your country. And uh, I've been everywhere in your country. And I just think it's a remarkable place. And I think people don't quite understand what Canada is because so much of it is bumped right up against our border. And I would argue, no offense, that the least impressive places in Canada are right up against our border. But once you get past that, it's just unbelievable. I've been to this city a lot because of your mountains, which I just find beyond belief, really the prettiest places I've ever been. This country is the prettiest country I've ever been in. The second biggest country in the world, bigger than the United States, deeper oil reserves in the United States, more natural resources in the United States, and one-ninth the population. And when I hear the lunatics that run your government, are like, our population's growing, we're so excited. I'm like, really, you wanna live in a crowded country? 40 million people in the world's second biggest country? That sounds like the kind of place I want to live. Like, what are you even talking about, you morons? But anyway, um, so I've come to Canada a lot, and every time I come, uh, you know, so many things strike me. First and foremost, the natural beauty, the unbelievable natural beauty, prettier than Switzerland, in my opinion. 
Um, and the second thing I notice is the politeness of the people. That's real. And the third thing I notice is that all the comedians left decades ago. And it brings it out in me. And I, making fun of Canadians, and I, as I've already told you, and I, th I hope it's obvious, is done with love. But I just can't control myself because no one will ever laugh at your joke. And so every time I go to Toronto, which I try not to do, but um, I do wind up there, every time I check in a hotel, I'm like, well, you, you guys have hot water? Like, where'd you get all the electricity? This is unbelievable. And they always have the same responses. We've had electricity for a long time, eh? <laughs> like, no, it's a joke. <laughs> you don't really have sled dog parking in front. I know that. No, we haven't had sled dogs in a long time, eh? And so, <laughs> I just love it. I've told so many sled dog and Molson jokes, it's just, and I'll never stop. But one of the reasons I do it is because I do think it's important to, to laugh at your circumstances, not simply because it makes you feel better, though it does, but because it, it gives you perspective on them. And humor requires some distance, some critical distance, both from yourself and from your surroundings. And you can't really see things clearly until you have that. And so if you have a country where the funny people feel like they have to leave, that's a huge problem. And that's the first problem. The second problem is you can't really be effective as a political movement or a resistance movement, which effectively you are, if you don't laugh at your enemies. Because not only are they evil, and they are, they're also ludicrous. They're ludicrous. And it's really important to say that because it saps their power immediately. Laughing at somebody, and if you're a married man, you know that, no, it's true. Your wife could come and hit you in the face with a two-by-four, and that would be less painful than having her laugh derisively at you, particularly when you get out of the shower. That would just end it for you. That would end it. Your male power would evaporate like a puddle on a hot day, like you'd be done, because it has that effect. And so to look at your enemies, like let's say you had some sort of weird prime minister like to dress up in fussy costumes. It would be super important to point that out a lot. Like, relentlessly. Somebody told me last night that his base, I, I was asked, we had this wonderful dinner last night with two of the most famous people in Canada, probably the two most famous people, Lord Black and my friend Dr. Jordan Peterson, and I asked, um, I asked, like, is there anyone in the country who supports this guy? He's so, I mean, I know him only, I've never met him, I only know him through television. I know his cousin, Gavin Newsom, uh, pretty well, but I don't know him. Is there anyone who takes him seriously? And they, everyone in the room said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Young people, particularly young women, take him very seriously. They love him. And I thought, there's really only one way to combat that. And that's by pointing out what an absurd poser this guy is. He's like a ridiculous figure. Like, you should dislike and resist Justin Trudeau and his government to the maximum extent of your ability. But before you do that, before you do that, you should just laugh at him until you can't breathe. <laughs> Seriously. The guy's like, he's showing up for a costume party when no one else is. There's no costume party and there's Justin Trudeau. Like speaking as some sort of moral voice. Weird little cross-dresser. So anyway, that's my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice, once you've done that, which is very effective, and I know it's not the Canadian way because it's such a polite society that everyone feels morally bound to take everyone else's point of view very seriously and sort of nod gravely and pretend to consider their perspective. But there are some perspectives that aren't in fact perspectives, they're attacks on you. And that's the main thing that I wanna say in the short time allotted today, is that you should recognize what is happening to you.
This is not a political debate to which you've been invited to participate. This is a destruction of you and your culture and your beliefs and your children and your future as a country. And that's not overstatement. It's provable statistically. So just take three steps back. If you have a government that is giving fentanyl to your children, as they are in BC, and notice your premier has a no fentanyl to kids policy, God bless her. Um, I know, and you're applauding. I mean, and I'm applauding, and I'm grateful. But how distorted is your world where you have to applaud the one politician's like, you know, we're not going to give fentanyl to the kids today. Okay, but then take two steps further back from that and ask yourself, if someone's giving fentanyl to your children, what, what, what's kind of the message of that? Well, they're trying to kill your children, obviously. Fentanyl? It's the number one cause of death under 40 in the United States. Number one in the whole country, followed by suicide. If you want to know where we are, we're about two years behind you. And it's only because we have a louder media space than you do that we aren't ahead of you. But if someone's giving fentanyl to your children without telling you, they're trying to kill your children, which are your inheritance, so the only meaningful thing you will ever produce on earth, okay, are your children. That's the first thing to know. Second, if they are trying to kill you, and by the way, I know I'm offending everyone, even this group, because no one in Canada wants to talk about anything. It's like an Episcopalian Christmas dinner. And I grew up in that world, so I know everyone's had like three too many, and then someone will burt out, you wrecked my childhood, and then everyone will sit there in silence. <laughs> it's so awesome. Um, but Anglo-Canada, like Anglo everywhere, doesn't like to say anything out loud. But let me just do it anyway. Um, if you're killing 50,000 of your citizens, if the government is doing that through the MEAD program, and a lot of them are not actually terminally ill, they're just sad, and the government is encouraging them to submit to being killed by the government, and then won't release the re recent statistics, like, what is that? What is that? Yeah, it's genocide. That's exactly what it is. It's killing large groups of people. And who are those people, by the way? We don't, we don't know, because your government hasn't released the stats. What percentage of those were born in Canada? I'd bet right around 100%. So if you're a government, you have the duty to your citizens, people who are from here, people whose ancestors built the place, not exclusively to them, but primarily to them, to your citizens. Like, why else do you exist except to serve your citizens? And if you're targeting your citizens, how many people who arrived in Canada in the last 10 years have opted into the MAID program? I don't know the answer. I'd bet around zero. It's all people who are from here. And now the government brags, oh, we're saving money because they died. That's the darkest thing I can imagine. I bet there's zero conversation about that in this country because I know this country and I know what it's like. It's too horrible. No one wants to talk about it. You should talk about it. But more than anything, you should internalize the message of that, which is they hate me. They hate me to the point they're willing to kill me, which they are. And the third thing is notice the erosion of your most basic civil liberties, not the ones granted to you by the crown, but the ones granted to you by God. And those would include the freedom of speech, which is inalienable. It cannot be taken from you no matter who is in Ottawa, or as we say, Ottawa. Which, by the way, is the correct pronunciation according to my friends in the Ojibwa community. I've pronounced it that way every time on television and I get all these angry, you know, it's, you're pronouncing it incorrectly, you don't even know the name. It's like, yeah, I know a lot about Canada. I'm doing it on purpose to make fun of you so you will laugh, but you won't. And then this Ojibwa leader writes in and he goes, yeah, all the whites are wrong, it's actually Ottawa. Go Ottawa! Anyway, it doesn't matter who's in the prime minister's office. Your rights remain the same because you were born with them because you are not a slave, you're a human being. 
and you have inherent dignity because God made you. That's just a fact. And if they're taking those rights away piecemeal and doing so in the name of public safety, even as they make the public sphere much more dangerous, which they have, in case you haven't noticed, Canada has a lot more violent crime now than it did 20 years ago. Have you noticed? Of course you have. You live here. And if they're telling you you can't defend yourself against that crime, we're going to disarm you. You can't protect your life or your family. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's for the public safety. It's just not, not a big deal. These are weapons of war. No, they're weapons of self-defense, which you need and deserve as a free person, not a slave. And then they're telling you you can't complain about it. And then they're subsidizing the media to the point where all of your big media outlets, which are disgusting, are state media because they're taking state cash. Do you watch CBC? I do occasionally. I can turn in any hour of the day and I will learn that I am racist for driving an SUV and not being trans. That's, that's the whole schedule of CBC programming. But interpret that, that's not woke. Oh, it's woke. I hate the woke crap. It doesn't mean anything. They hate you, that's what they're saying. They're saying that you are bad. That's exactly what they're saying. Don't lie to yourselves, that's, what, that's all I'm saying. And we are very delusional in the United States because we're so distracted by stuff and electronic devices and the promise of next day delivery from Amazon of brightly colored plastic crap made in China that we tend to be slow to figure out what's going on. But Canada has a different restraint, which is a cultural one, it's an Anglo, specific Anglo-cultural one, which is just like, I don't wanna deal with that, that's too uncomfortable. But in your heart anyway, even if you voice it to no one but yourself, know what the message is. And the message is you are bad. I mean, I'm going to say the most controversial thing ever. I watched when Montreal was cleansed of its Anglo legacy. And I'm not anti-French, just, just for the record, at all. But I am Anglo, and I had friends in Montreal. And in the span of a generation, like, that's all gone. They were forced out. And they're like, okay, I guess we'll go to Ontario. What? My grandfather built this city. I'm not going anywhere. How about that? That never occurred to anyone. Because no one could say out loud what was actually happening. This was a series of acts of hostility aimed at you because of things that you didn't choose, like how you were born. And once you keep allowing that, you have no future, okay? So if they're limiting your freedom to say what you think, which is a freedom of conscience, the most basic of all freedom, your freedom to defend yourself and your family against bodily harm, which has got to be a twin to the first one, if they're taking away your voting power by changing the population of your country, which they are doing, and no one wants to talk about that, Canada has the highest immigration rate in the world per capita. And shut up, racist! That's not racist. I don't care if they're coming from New Zealand. I don't care if you're taking the population of Stockholm and moving them to Canada. If you change the population of the country, you change the country and you dilute the voting power of the people who are vested in that country, the people who are born there, who have lived there long term, who understand the history and the culture of the country, who are bought in. And all of a sudden, their vote means much less. It's math. You guys do that. Math. That's horrifying that this is happening. And there's no public debate over it whatsoever. Why do you think that's happening? Is it for economic reasons? I'd be kind of okay with that. If someone could stand up and say, we're totally changing the population of Canada because we think it's better for our economy. Okay, tell me how. We can have rational conversations. We're adults. I'm a citizen. This is my government too. Tell me how that works. But they can't because that's not true. Look at your housing prices. 
Look at the strain on your services. Look at your healthcare system, which no Canadian I meet brags about anymore. And one of the main reasons is it's overburdened. There are too many people. Oh, we need population growth. Really? Tell me, tell me why. Tell me why all of these slogans make sense. I've watched Canadian hockey from time to time. They literally say diversity is our strength before they open the, the game. Okay, what does that mean and, and why is it true? Shut up. No, I'm not going to shut up. You're telling me to accept a slogan, so it's incumbent on you to explain what the slogan means and why it makes sense. That seems like a common sense rule. If you're forcing something down my throat, tell me how it tastes before I swallow it. Oh, shut up, racist. No, no, not going to. Not racist. I'm not going to shut up. Answer the freaking question, you weird cross-dressing <laughs> prime minister. And the last thing I'll say, and I will stop at this because I'm sure I've gone beyond the time allotted. Keep going. I'm out of control. Unleashed in Canada. <laughs> um, the last thing I'll say, which also may be controversial because it sounds like a parochial concern or some sort of, you know, weird religious thing or something, and it's not. But take a look at what they're doing to your Christians. And I say this for a couple of, I am a Christian, but that's not why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because there's, there's kind of no more inoffensive and peaceful group in the world than the Christians. In fact, there isn't. Their religion tells them, commands them to turn the other cheek and to put the concerns of others above their own concerns. So if you have a problem with those precepts, explain it to me. Speak slowly so I can understand. I think every person in this room, regardless of your faith, can agree, yeah, I'm for that. I wish I was more like that. That's good. We need more of those people in society. Serve others for the sake of service. People who pray for their enemies. Who does that? Who would pray for an enemy? No one, except the Christians, and they do. They're commanded to. So if you're hassling that group, maybe you've got another agenda that we should be concerned about, even if we're not in that group. If we burn 90 of their churches to the ground, and the prime minister and his little weird buddies are endorsing that. Burning churches, if you're on the side of burning churches, let me just say, I don't need any other facts of the case, you're on the wrong side. If you're throwing preachers in prison for preaching the Christian gospel, not for hurting anyone, not for making pipe bombs, not for trying to castrate other people's children, not for importing millions of people into your country, you're not going to have work. Just for the crime of preaching the Christian gospel, you go to jail at the same time when they're encouraging your kids to do drugs, and not just fentanyl, but weed. Don't raise your hand if you have a 15-year-old son, but come up to me after and tell me what you think of legalized weed. For real. And, and if you have a 15-year-old son, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They did that to you and to your son on purpose. And so in a country like that, in a world like that, if you think that preaching the gospel is so dangerous that the people who do it need to be in prison in shackles, you're serving someone other than the people of Canada, if you know what I mean. That's really scary. And I don't care how much they dress it up in the passive-aggressive, self-help language of the modern left. Well, it's really about public safety. Every time I turn on your freaking television shows, everything's about public safety. 
which is a euphemism for hard-edged fascism, actually. And frankly, I'm a little bit more comfortable with the old-fashioned variety, where guys in tight uniforms goose-step through your town, because at least you know who you're fighting. And you know what it's going to take to liberate your town. Get rid of these people and everything will be okay. But when they show up and they're therapists with advanced degrees, and they look at you in the face and say, no, actually, little Dylan just needs more fentanyl. Little Dylan's actually a girl. And we're going to, yes, he's a girl. Sorry, she's a girl. She's a girl. And if you don't agree, well, maybe we may have to remove Dylan to more care-affirming custody. Oh, you're going to take my kids away because I don't want to castrate them. They'll never say that, of course. Because clear language is their enemy. Because clear language exposes who they really are. They're not people who are trying to help you. They are people who are trying to hurt you. Anyone who goes after your children, anyone who encourages you to have fewer children, is trying to make you extinct. It's literally that simple. And it's only in the advanced West that we don't see that. Try that crap in Bulgaria. Try that in Serbia. How do you think that would fly in Serbia? We're just going to give little Voldok some fentanyl. And we think, you know, he may be, you wouldn't even get to the next sentence before you got shot. Because you're trying to kill someone's kids. And your average Serb, whatever you think of them, doesn't have generations of therapy talk that acts as a logical intermediary in his brain and prevents him from seeing what's actually going on here. They're trying to kill my kids. I'm the father. I won't allow it. I'll lay my life down to prevent it. It's literally that simple. So I'll stop with this. The answer, before you take any sort of action or imagine that some election is going to fix things, comma, which it's not, spoiler alert, because this country, like every country, every country, very much and maybe especially including my country, has a lot of frauds in that business. Sorry. It does. I would know. It's the one thing I know a lot about. Before any of that takes place, you need to change inside. Your attitudes need to change. And your timidity needs to be replaced by bravery. The muddled thinking that you have about this stuff, the average normal Canadian, just like the average normal American, sees this stuff pop up on his phone or he's on X and he's like, I can't believe it, the world's going to hell. But it's scattershot. There's one here, one there, one there. No, it's not scattershot. It's of a piece. It's of a piece. They're all connected. And it's aimed at you. And if you don't agree, tell me how I'm wrong. But I'm not wrong. I'm right. And so the first thing that you need to do before changing anything in your country is to change everything about your heart. You have to be ready for a contest where the stakes are existential, which they are. And with that, I will stop. Thank you. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been delivering on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices of America's greatest heroes. Heroes who put their lives on the line to protect our country and our communities. Heroes like Bristol, Connecticut Police Sergeant Dustin DeMonte. After responding to a domestic violence incident, he sustained fatal gunshot wounds. He left behind his expectant wife and two children. 
Thanks to the generosity of people like you, Tunnel to Towers paid the mortgage on the DeMonte family home, lifting a financial burden. As his loved ones mourned the decorated officer's loss, they welcomed a miracle, the child he would never get to meet. So many families need your help. Please help America's heroes and their young families. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good in their honor. 95 cents out of every dollar you donate goes to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has a over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. I'm Brett. Yeah. I had a little chat with Christian before we got started, and I asked him whether or not I could slip any F-bombs. Christian said, no fucking way. So I'm going to have to be really careful with how I moderate and manage the language. Now, with very short notice, Jordan and Tucker have been told that I'm going to provide them with kind of some cryptic words, a couple of sentences. And they're stuck with two-sentence answers. Jordan, have you ever been cryptic? Yes. There. That was it. The first fucking time I've ever seen him, or the first time I've ever seen him cryptic. Tucker, you can do this? I used to write haiku as a child, so yes. All right. Well, let's see where this goes. Let's start with Tucker. Joe and Kamala. Two sentences. <laughs> Lovely Ops. couple. Uh, on their way out. Jordan, Christian, Christia, and Justin. And you can think little, about this one. <laughs> um, a little narcissistic for my liking. We got a lot of this. We're going to have some fun here. Donald Trump. Uh... I'll speak in sentences, um, you know, orange, ascendant. Uh, no, I would say, if you want to know who Trump is, watch the reaction to Trump. I mean, that's really it. I think Trump is politically a moderate. Um, and I think that not because I'm totally crazy. I think I'm pretty moderate too, to be honest. I don't want radical change. But neither does Trump. And they're treating him like he's a Nazi, and that says everything about them. Loud and clear. Jordan, Pierre Polevre, or Polev, if you wish. I'll tell you a quick story about Mr. Polyev, a couple of sentences. I met him at the residence of the opposition 
And I met his wife, who I thought was a very solid person. And one of the concerns they expressed to my wife and I while I was there was the expense that they had racked up at the expense of the Canadian taxpayer for moving them into Stornoway, into the residence. And I thought, two things, I thought, all things considered, you, you probably have more important things to prioritize. But the fact that that actually bothers you and that that was genuine and unprompted is a good sign because I don't think that Pierre Polyev thinks that your money is his. Well, yeah, or, or, or that he knows what to do with it more than you do. Right. Yeah, yeah. Tucker, Vivek Ramaswamy, he wants to build a wall between Canada and the U.S. Any thoughts on that? Building a wall between Canada and the U.S. would be the best thing that ever happened in Canada. <laughs> Not because the U.S. is bad, but because it's too easy for your creative talent and your economic producers to flee when things get bad here. And there should be a wall around Canada. And, and smart Canadians, if they stayed, and, and a lot have stayed, of course, but you've lost a lot of great people, and I know them because they live in my country. And, our, and I'm in the creative business. My business is filled with Canadians. And I always say, like, why couldn't you do it in Canada? Because it's state media. You know, no creativity allowed, only racist, tranny, climate, that's it. <laughs> and so I think it would be great for Canada. I mean that. We will try not to make the wall too high. <laughs> Jordan, the Freedom Convoy. It's been an interesting... Whoa. <laughs> Sit down, we got some conversation to come. Uh, it's been an interesting 24 hours. So you know that, that the trucker convoy was part and also part of the leadership of a much broader movement of working class people all across the Western world. You're seeing that more particularly in Europe now. There were some 200,000 German farmers and assorted protesters out over the last couple of weeks. All you, s you saw very little coverage of that. The same thing is happening in Spain, it's happening in France, it's happening in Scotland. And part of the reason that it is happening is because working class people in their implicit wisdom have decided that they're not the problem that faces the planet, but the solution. And the truckers knew that and they served in that function. As even Trudeau admitted not so long prior to his unforgivable, traitorous, and now deemed criminal activities, which should be treated as such. Yep. I, I thought from the beginning, you know, more power to the truckers. I think they handled that demonstration impeccably. They timed it brilliantly. They left at the right time. They did nothing but good. And they were treated like Russian collaborators and mega scum, and sometimes both at the same time, because that's exactly how demented Canada is. So more power to them, and thank God for the wisdom of the federal court. May I, may I just add one thing? I, I, I so fervently agree with what Jordan just said, and I, I was mesmerized by that whole thing, and I know some of the people involved. 
I do think, though, there's probably too much emphasis, relatively speaking, on the prime minister and not enough on Christia Freeland, who, who I, I knew as a journalist working in Washington 20 years ago. She was at the Financial Times. And the fact that someone like that could ascend to a position of high authority in a, in a civilized country like this is such a shocking... Sh and I mean that. First of all, it's a, it, it, it proves the meritocracy is fake. If some you know, it's mentally random. deficient fascist can have power over you, okay? But watching David Menzies get arrested recently for trying to ask her a question, I mean, I really feel like people need to be very direct. No, this person has no moral authority over me at all. She is not qualified to even speak to me. Okay. <laughs> Those were extremely long two sentences, but let's keep rolling. But heartfelt. Yeah, no, you, you guys are the right guys. I mean, I never expected you to just follow the I obeyed initially. Yeah, bullshit. Um, Tucker, January 6th. Uh, well, January 6th was fraudulent, and it's taken me three years to, to get the full picture on that. I had that instinct. I'll just say two. I mean, there's nothing I can add to January 6th, which is an enormously complex series of events that still to this day is shrouded in secrecy and deception. Um, and I know a lot about this subject. I'm from Washington. Uh, but I would just say one thing really quick. I watched that happen. I was not in Washington when it happened. I saw it on television. One of my children worked in that building, called me and said this was happening. And I instantly knew there was lying. I instantly, I had no idea where it was coming from. Here's all I would say about it. If something happens in your country or in your life and your gut tells you there's something wrong with the explanation I'm getting, trust your gut. It doesn't mean that you understand what actually happened. I still don't understand what actually happened. It was a setup. I can say that conclusively. Who did it? Hard to know. The left did it, but who? But I knew right away that what they were telling me on NBC News and CNN and all the rest of the liars in my country was false. I could feel it, and I never wavered in my belief that they were lying to me, and now we know for a fact it's been documented that they were. So I would, my advice to you would be, if you feel something is deceptive, you are given these instincts at birth. There's nothing more reliable than your intuition. It's not trying to sell you anything. It's not trying to hurt you. It's trying to save you. So don't ignore it. Thank you. Jordan, the World Economic Forum. And you've got three so, sentences. Well, the first thing I would say is that one of the things I've learned very deeply in the last few years is that it's a very dangerous thing to make the assumption that the world is a limited resource, zero-sum game. And then you might say, well, how can it not be? Because there is a finite amount of of certain so-called resources, and I would say, well, the reason it isn't is because there isn't any desert that we wouldn't be able to make bloom and permanently make infinitely productive if we got our acts together in the manner that Tucker described. You know, there's a, I've been writing a new book about the biblical stories, and one of the continual, the emphasis in that corpus of stories is continual, and the central message is that if you orient yourself upward and you act with the highest regard for yourself and for other people, there's no limit to the abundance that you can bring forth. And if you have faith in that, you don't have to be concerned about sharing. You know that there's, there's not only more than enough for everyone, 
That more depends on you being as generous as you possibly could be with everyone. And all that would do would be to increase what's available. And the alternative to that is exactly the WAF view, which is that, quite frankly, there's too goddamn many people on the planet. And every time I hear that, I think, just exactly what spirit is saying that? And just precisely who the hell do you think should go? And just exactly how? So I don't view human beings as an impediment to the beauty and pristineness of, of the Mother Earth that we've come to worship. You know, I think the notion that we're all creatures made in the image of God with an infinite transcendent worth is as true as any statement can be. And I think nothing... And I believe that there is nothing that is beyond our capability on the side of good if we aimed up and told the truth and had sufficient faith and courage and I don't believe there's anything truer than that and that is not what the WAF stands for. They stand for a Malthusian zero-sum game of scarcity, privation and top-down centralized control and with the technology that we have now I wouldn't recommend that we do that. May, may, may I just answer one question raised by your eloquent and absolutely right analysis of the World Economic Forum? And that is, what spirit animates them? Well, if you believe people are the problem, then that is, of course, a genocidal spirit. If I believe that the problem with my kitchen is it has too many mice, the solution is to kill the mice. Too many roaches, I kill the roaches. They're the problem. They're the impediment. And so make no mistake, and this sort of tracks with what I was saying earlier, don't lie to yourself about the agenda. If people are the problem and you're a person, then your life is in the way of whatever goals they're seeking to achieve. By definition, am I missing something? No, I'm not. But all of us, it's so grotesque because, to further elaborate in one sentence, it's a demonic spirit, just to be clear. Any, any spirit that seeks to hurt, kill, divide, demoralize other people is a demonic spirit, by definition. So that's what animates it. You're the target, and don't lie to yourself. All right, for clarity, we've now moved to two paragraph answers. Um, and I'm okay with that, we can work with this. A uh, little bit of history, 10, 12 years ago, I bought my way onto a whitewater rafting trip in Chile, run by Robert Kennedy Jr. The fact that I ran a coal-fired power plant caused him great concern for most of the week. The name I'm gonna throw at you, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Is this aimed at me? I think both of, us, both of us know him well. Well, I, you know, I, I'm a friend of Bobby Kennedy's yep. um, personally. And I think, you know, whenever politics, politics changes people, the imperatives of running for office change people's priorities. That's true of everyone who runs for office. Ask anyone who's done it. Um, and so I can't, you know, I cannot assess his presidential campaign and I won't. I just, I'll just say one thing about him, which is at the height of COVID hysteria, he was right. He was right. And he was right at great personal cost. And I know a lot about this subject because I know a lot about him. And I don't, I'm not sort of at liberty to say all of it, but I mean, that guy suffered in a real way. He suffered more than I would suffer. They targeted his family, like actually his family. And he was absolutely right. And it does make you, you know, I've known him a long time, like 20 years. And I remember when he was, he went from being like the most famous celebrated guy in democratic politics to being someone whose name could not be mentioned, and it happened in one article where he suggested there was a connection between vaccines and autism. 
And I think there clearly is a connection. And I think there's a ton of scientific evidence that there's a connection. And you were not allowed to say that in the United States, the land of the free, the home of free speech. You could not say that. You couldn't have a job and say that. And the last thing I'll say is, whenever there is something that's verboten, you're literally not allowed to say or you'll be punished, that's the thing you probably should consider saying. Because they're not telling you not to say it because it's false. They don't care about lying. They are liars by their nature. They celebrate lies. Men can become women. Oh, right. No. What they hate is the truth. And so if there is an idea or even a phrase that you're literally not allowed to say, pay very close attention to that phrase because at least they think it's true. That's why they won't let you say it. Huh. Okay. Did I mention Robert F. Kennedy? Oh, yeah, I did. That was your answer. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Was, that was quite a complete and fulsome answer. I would no, say. no, you went everywhere and you, uh, you got your three sentences in. Um, Jordan, a little bit uh, of an odd one for you. Joe Rogan. So here's two ways that you might judge the character of someone. The first is whether they're the same person on stage and in public as they are in private. Yeah, that's Rogan. Like, what you see is what you get. He's exactly how he portrays himself. And he's, I've been around Joe a fair bit and around him and many other people, and around him and some very, very smart people. And it's hard to be in a room with Joe when he isn't the smartest person in the room. And so he can play lunkhead, but beneath that, like, macho and genuinely macho exterior, there's a very, very sharp mind. And then the other thing that's great about Joe is he's really, he's got a great comical side, you know? I mean, he's a professional comedian, but he's a wit and he's extremely playful along with being brave. And that combination of playfulness and bravery, you know, that's a testament. Pra playfulness, bravery, and honesty, that's Rogan. It's not a bloody accident that he's the world's most popular podcaster, you know? And thank God he's the real thing. And so, you know, two thumbs up for Joe Rogan. All right, Tucker, we're going to complicate your life. It's pretty complicated already. Okay, Fox News. It's uh, an American uh, television channel. It's on cable. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> no, uh, I don't. Is it? Are you allowed to watch Fox in Canada? I, we, I can never get a straight answer. I spent 14 years. Tucker, there. you were my 7 p.m. note. That was, everything was okay. about 7 Well, there was a rumor at 1211 6th Avenue in New York at the headquarters of the channel that we were not uh, on the air in Canada. No, you know, I spent uh, 14 happy years there. I also worked at a number of other television networks for 30 years. And, um, and I will say this about Fox. They never told me what to say. They never scolded me for saying things that they clearly disagreed with. I think they disagreed with a lot of what I said. And to their great credit, um, they didn't try and censor me. And my deal with them was simple and very straightforward from the day I arrived, which was, I don't own this company. It's your prerogative, it's your decision to decide what's on the air, who's on the air, that includes me, I understand that. Um, my view is, I'm gonna say exactly what I want, and if you don't like it, you can take me off the air. I'm not gonna take instructions. You hired me to say what I think, I'm going to, and if you don't like it, just pull me off the air. And one day they did. They didn't explain why. I, I didn't really push them that much, I was a little confused, but I never contested their right to do that because I believe in private property, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I got a lot out of Fox News. I enjoyed my time there. I'm glad I'm not in that business anymore. I spent enough time, and I'm pretty happy, you know, like having dinner with my wife and messing around on social media. Well, there's 4,000-plus people here delighted that you're here. 
And if you were still at Fox News, who fucking knows? I, I will say this. I've, I've never had a TV in my house. Um, we don't have TV, and like, so I, I haven't seen it that much. I'll just be, I'll be totally honest. I had a, a sick relative this fall who sadly passed away, but I would go to the, to the hospital to visit her, and, and it would be on, and I was like shocked. I was like, that's what it looks like? <laughs> it's like just don't watch. I, don't, I just don't care for the medium. Well, you and X are getting along rather well. Jordan, I'm going to throw a curve at you as well. Greta Thunberg. Better men than you have tried it. <laughs> Greta Thunberg. That opens up a whole topic. I feel, I feel bad for Greta. Look, you got to think about this, man. Just think how bloody terrifying it would be if you were a 13-year-old girl. I mean, that's terrifying enough, but if you were a 13-year-old girl who was nervous about the future because of every lie that she'd been fed, and you started to become upset about that and to speak out, and then every bloody leader in the Western world kowtowed to you as if you were a prophetess. Do you know how destabilizing that would be? How in the world would you ever recover from that? I think that given what she's been through, given the absolute cowardice and betrayal of the leaders who've worshipped at her feet, like she's some sort of sage, that she's remarkably well put together. So that's what I think of Greta Thunberg. Thank you. Imagine using someone like Greta Thunberg for political ends. What a cold, evil person you would have to be. An autistic child. And, and she's going to carry your message? Yeah, and it's a pathetic global. Well, it's disgusting. Yep. It's, it's abuse of a child. And the people who abetted that, which would include the entire Western news media, ought to be ashamed. They're criminals, in my view. All right, Tucker, I'm going to throw... Change the subject once again. This one's going to be a little more entertaining. Riley Gaines. Oh, I love Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines Who, who is a doesn't? Cool, well, she's a cool person, too. Yeah. And my favorite thing about Riley Gaines, I mean, there are a lot of things I love about Riley Gaines, but my favorite thing about Riley Gaines is she's married. Riley Gaines got married at, in college, which I love, and I would recommend to everybody. I think it's so important to be married, and particularly married young. And, I, and I've told her this. I saw her the other day, and I, um, she came to my house in Maine, when this whole first start, she's a swimmer at the University of Kentucky, and they, she tied some dude, and they gave the dude the trophy because he yeah. was a dude, and they're trying to eliminate the gender binary to destroy our civilization. So she was just annoyed because, like, they stole it from her. And, but she was totally, I mean, she went up against the NAACP and NBC News and every power center in American sports. And I was like, how are you able to, you're like some, college girl like how do you have the moral strength that she's married when you're married it doesn't matter what happens outside the home you come home to your teammate and that's where the strength is it's in your family those are the people who will never betray you who have your side from beginning to end and people who don't have that are vulnerable it's a lot harder to be brave if you don't have a teammate that's why the seals have teams and uh so i love that about rally gains Jordan, anything to add on that one? Well, I interviewed Riley, and she is remarkably brave. She's very forthright. She's extremely vivacious. She's uh, incredibly disciplined. She was robbed multiple times of her just rewards, which is also part of the process of dismantling meritocracy, which is a process that we're apparently deeply committed to, because who needs merit uh, when you could have let's say, diversity as an alternative. 
Um, she's a top-rate person, and she is a great role model for, for everyone, but particularly for young women, you know? She, she stood her ground, man, and she did, you know, you talked a little bit, I don't remember if it was the video clip or when it was when you were speaking live, but about the consequences of saying what you believe to be true. You know, I, I wouldn't say telling the truth exactly because, you know, you have to be pretty presumptuous if you think you've got a hammerlock on the truth, but you could at least try to say what you believe to be true. And what's so interesting about that, and this, and this is something, I, I don't know if there's anything more important than you can know than this, is that if you say what you believe to be true, you are living your life. You will have the adventure of your life. You will reveal your soul. It will make itself manifest in the world. That will make your life worthwhile, no matter what suffering you undergo, no matter what suffering you encounter. It's such a secret to know that, and Riley Gaines knows that. And she's having a hell of an adventure, you know, and she hasn't been canceled, and she's come up against some bitter, and well-armed foes, but all that's going to do is make her even more than she already is, and that's something to see because she's already quite something. All right, loud and clear. Okay, <clears throat> I'm getting signals that we're, we've used up our half hour, but I negotiated another five minutes, so let's see what we can do. Two sentences each, and both of you are going to get hit with the word, and you're first. Immigration. Immigration is like nitroglycerin. It can save your life or kill you. It depends how you apply it. Some, you know, selective immigration that meets the needs of the country is great. Canada has had a lot of it over the years. You're proud of it, justly so. Same with my country. Unrestrained immigration done for political reasons or for reasons of racial hostility, which is why it's happening now, will absolutely eliminate your country from the map. No country does that. No country that wants to remain a country. Your country is doing it more than any other in the world followed by my country. And if it continues, those countries won't exist. That's just a fact. Sorry. Jordan. That, that was good enough. Nothing to add for Canada? You don't need a wall? Well, oh, look, we already we, talked we, about that. We had a perfectly reasonable and productive immigration strategy. And we've ramped it up to a rate that isn't integratable. And we do that because we don't think that integration is necessary. But you know what the opposite of integration is? Disintegration. It's not that hard to figure out. And you can imagine that there's a rate at which the, the, the inclusion of new people into your culture is actually invigorating. You know, the new ideas that are brought in, the different ideas that are brought in, the different skills, and then you can imagine that there's a rate that if you exceed, becomes devastating. And so it's like almost everything else that's complex. If it's done well and wisely, then it's going to have a productive consequence. If it's done foolishly and bitterly, then it's going to be a disaster. And so almost everything we do in this country, especially at the federal level, is done bitterly, resentfully, and incompetently. And so you don't have to be a genius to figure out where that's leading. You just have to want to see <clears throat> Now, I wish we had another half an hour, but where we're going to evolve to in a moment is Tucker's going to have a little work with uh, a very important politician in the Alberta world. But let me go first with two words that I'm left with, and I've got dozens I'd love to use, but um, Jordan first, Alberta. 
Well, you know, it, it says in the Gospels that to those who, who have been given much, much will be required. From those who are given much, much will be required. And you people in Alberta, you've been given much, not least uh, a store of resources that are of incomprehensible value. And you have a commensurate responsibility along with that gift. And if you steward those resources properly, you could help Canada move towards an almost inconceivable abundance and do the same thing around the world. And because you've been given that gift, you have that responsibility. And the other thing that's worth understanding is that if you're given a gift and you don't shepherd it wisely and you don't take responsibility for it and you're not grateful for its provision, then it will destroy you. So make of that what you want. Okay. Can I just add one super quick thing as a, as a non-Albertan? I think one of the reasons Alberta, Canada should be grateful for Alberta, obviously for the reasons the doctor just suggested, but a lot of Canada, Eastern Canada is not grateful for Alberta, and why is that? I think one of the reasons is Alberta offers a different vision of what a thriving economy looks like. So Toronto's like banking and real estate. Can you build a real economy on banking and real estate? <laughs> no! You build London's economy on banking and real estate, a completely Potemkin, a fake economy. Alberta's economy is built substantially on natural resources and on ag. That's a real economy. Those are things people want and indeed they need to live. And so if you're in Toronto, am I pronouncing that correctly? And you look back here, it's like, it's like, it's like a challenge to you or something. You know you're inferior. It's like being the ugly sister, you're mad. That's my view. All right. So you may have already slipped into this, but I gave Jordan, Alberta. Tucker, you get Canada. Canada? Canada. Well, as noted, I, I literally love, I think Canada is the prettiest country in the world. And I'm a stats guy, and I'm interested in populations, and I'm interested in landmass. I, I love nature above, above all things in this world. And Canada, you know, it's the second largest country in the world with 40 million people living in there. And if there's one criticism I would level at Canada, it's that why doesn't every single person in Canada have six acres of land? And why is everybody, the worst parts of Canada are your big cities, and there's one in particular that's just like, I'm sorry to say it, I think it's an atrocity. It's not worse than Gary, Indiana, or New York City, and we've got a lot of atrocity cities in my country. But like, why is Toronto the face of Canada? How about, where, you see the mountains right there? I've been to those mountains, they're ridiculous. They're prettier than any mountains we have in my country, a lot prettier. Have you been to northern Quebec, like above the French zone, like just into the woods? It's insane. Have you been to the Maritimes? Like it's just, have you been to Labrador? It's the craziest country. You have so much. Why are you clustered in the crappiest places? Go discover your own country. All right. Um, that was the most entertaining two-sentence uh, vernacular that I've ever they were run -on encountered, but uh, I spoke with you both before we came up and you looked at me like you didn't think it was possible. I think you did it. I think if we had another hour, this crowd would love you. So first of all, I'm gonna say thank you to Jordan for just, uh, just appearing, so to speak, here. And Tucker, fucking awesome.
Put your hands together for these two. Hey guys, it's Vivek Ramaswamy here, inviting you to listen to my podcast, Truth. We just relaunched it after the campaign, and we are already riding up the podcast charts. Here's why. I think that hard, in-depth conversations about the tough issues is the only way we're going to get this country back. Because make no mistake, we are currently in a war for the future of America, and you cannot win a war unless you're willing to speak the truth. If you want standard conservative talking points, this podcast is not for you. But if you want to go deeper and hear the conversations you're not going to find anywhere else, the conversations that will challenge you, that will challenge me, then subscribe to Truth with Vivek Ramaswamy on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I promise you, you're going to cover terrain that you're not going to hear elsewhere. It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late, you're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs, and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash carlson and save 20% today. We have the privilege in Alberta of someone running the party who's been around for a long time, I've known her for 20 years, but the evolution of her political career, even in the last several years, last year, the idea of a sovereignty act, holy fuck. What she's doing for Alberta, what she's doing for the West, therefore what she's doing for Confederation and Canada is extraordinary. Alberta is and will continue to thrive because of Premier Danielle Smith. Stand up. I love it. Thank you. Premier, thank you. Oh, first, for, we, we had dinner last night and had the best time. And thank you for letting me, a rank foreigner, ask you questions. I'm grateful for that. Uh, so I want to ask you about energy. Yes. Um, and, and I want to spend all our time talking about energy because, I, I mean, you're the Premier of Alberta. Yes. And I think it's really, really interesting. But I do feel duty-bound to ask you about something that people outside your country are paying attention to, and that's people who are imprisoned unfortunately, in this province for um, what appear to be, again, I'm an outsider and I wouldn't presume to know all the details, but I'm interested in the topic and have looked into it. There are four working class men, I think there are others, but we'll just focus on the four who arrested in Coots um, near the Montana border. 
for what appear to be political crimes and have not faced trial nor been given bail. Um, that seems like a human rights violation at, at scale. It's shocking that could happen in a civilized country. Tell us what you know about that and what you think about it. I should first say, because I know that there are representatives from mainstream media here, and they're going to ask me whether I agreed with every single word you said in the previous panel. I hope they buzz off. I really do. And so what I often say, especially when I'm being interviewed by the CBC, is, look, I don't agree with every word you say either, uh, obviously, but I accept interviews and have conversations with everyone, because I think it's important for me to make sure that the world knows how incredible Alberta is. And it's my job to make sure that I can tell your audience that too. So just, uh, I, I know CBC is here, so you can, you can quote me on that one if you want. <laughs> but to answer the question. Th thank you for those boos, well-deserved. <laughs> I should mention, Kian Bexty from Counter Signals here as well, as is Derek Vilderbrand from Western Standard. I bet the rebel guys are here too. And I talked to all of them as well. But um, what I would say is I had a bit of an education when I became premier because in our country, the criminal code is determined by the federal government. Uh, there's no interaction that you can have as a provincial leader on pardons, no interaction you can have with the police, no interaction you can have with prosecutors, no interaction you can have with the court system. I made my views very clear when I was running in the leadership that I'm, I call myself a libertarian conservative when I was uh, in a job very similar to yours because uh, I was in the media as well. I took the side of those who love freedom and believed that we had severe government overreach. I think it's part of the reason why when the job came open, people voted for me. So I am not proud of our country for having frozen bank accounts. I'm not proud of our country for having jailed pastors. I'm not proud of our country for the fact that we still have people languishing in jail for going on two years. And the, the fact that we, the, federal, the federal court just ruled that the federal government's actions in invoking the Emergency Act were illegal and they chose to appeal rather than accept the judgment of the court. But it's a lawless government acting in a lawless way. And I have great sympathy for anyone who's been at the, been a victim of that. And, uh, thank you for saying that. And, but, but given that the Trudeau government's actions as of yesterday have been ruled criminal, and you describe them as lawless, which I think demonstrably they are, and given that the media outlets, the big ones in Canada, are organs of the state, literally, um, we don't really know anything about what these four men, the coups four, have been accused of doing don't you think it would send a powerful message to go visit them in jail and find out what they've been accused of? Well, some of you may know I had a phone call with somebody in a similar position. And what I have learned is that all I can say is the Crown operates independently. Prosecutors have to make sure that they have a reasonable likelihood of conviction. And I guess they will have to assess whether or not that is the case now with the court uh, judgment that came down. I, I must tell you, it's, it's part of the journey we've all gone on in the last year to realize just how much limitation there is. Uh, it's, it's striking to me that a political action can be taken to launch a police charge and the criminal proceedings, but you can't take a political action to say, you know what, on sober second thought, we've reconsidered 
we're wrong and we're going to vacate these charges. It's, it's good work from people like the Canadian Constitution Foundation, Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedom, Civil Liberties Association. They are doing, they are doing the work in the way that our, our system allows. I, wish, I truly wish I could do more, but I've, uh, I've had my wings clipped in the last okay. year. I do hope someone can stand up for the most powerless in your society who are those four. Um, okay, let me ask you this. This is substance what I want to talk about, and you're an actual expert on this since you run Alberta. So many natural resources here, so much energy here, remarkable. But it's also pretty cold and not always sunny half the year. So I was stunned to learn that you have solar farms here. Is that true? That can't be real. <laughs> well... I, we, we do, and I represent a, a riding that's down in southern Alberta, and uh, this is my favorite time of year to drive past when we've got snow-covered fields, because guess what? You've also got snow-covered solar panels that aren't generating a single megawatt of solar energy. Uh, we also, um, I don't know if you know this, Tucker, but I was very impacted by what happened in Texas a few years ago when their power grid failed, because we've mirrored the way that they've structured their market. They've got a large base of natural gas, but they've also added wind and solar. And then when they got into a, an electricity crunch and the grid failed, 346 people died. Because that's what happens when the power grid fails and people rely on electricity to live. So we ended up in the last two years now having 14 alerts on our grid because that's how close we are to failure. And we had to take the extraordinary measure a week ago of putting out an emergency alert to Albertans because if we had, we were, we were 40 megawatts away from having to do rolling brownouts, rolling blackouts, which would have meant 120,000 homes plunged into darkness for 30 minutes at a time at six o'clock at night when people are making dinner, when kids are doing homework. Who, I mean, imagine the impact of those who require machines to live, those who are on dialysis or those who are in hospital. There's no possible way as a political leader that I'm going to allow the ideology against fossil fuels to impact what my job is, and that's to ensure that we've got safe, reliable, Man. affordable power. But I, I, I applaud you with such sincerity for taking a position on behalf of your constituents and their lives and not wanting to kill them. May I, may I say, because what happened that day I mean, as I know I don't like to put too many numbers out there, but to understand the, the scale of what we were dealing with, we were about 12,500 megawatts at our peak. So if 40 megawatts more had come on, that would have resulted in the, in the, in the blackouts I was just talking about. We've got 6,000 megawatts of installed wind and solar. Solar was zero. Wind was seven megawatts. And I simply can't say to people, well, just wait till the sun comes up and the wind starts blowing at 9 o'clock in the morning and good luck to you getting through the night. But that's, I guess, the, 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 the divide that we're talking about is I've been astonished to read some commentary after that happened was, see, your pause on renewables is wrong. You need to build more wind and solar. Like, how do you come to that conclusion that your power grid fails because you don't have reliable power my conclusion is you need to have more baseload power, more natural gas, but that's, I guess, the nature of the duality that we have. It's happening. just a little bit confusing if you step back because power generation, power grids are highly technical, complex things designed over 100 years by engineers, and yet people who don't know anything about them have changed them. Would the same apply to, say, heart surgery? I've never, 
you know, going to medical school, but I have very strong feelings about how you're doing your heart transplants. Let me impose my new heart transplant regs on you. You would say, that's insane. People will die. I, I wish you would put Stephen Guibault in your crosshairs as you're doing. I'm a... Uh... Is he an engineer? He's a... Uh... An environmental zealot, and he happens to be our environment minister federally. And I, you know, I guess if you put that question to him, to him he, he believes he has the expertise and knowledge to tell us in Alberta how to run our power grid. I don't know if you know much about Stephen Guibault. I don't know if I've ever heard well, you I'm, talk I'm about wanting him. to learn less just by your description. Well, one thing I find so offensive, I mean, you talk about uh, uh, the disrespect to our province. This is a guy who is an environmental advocate. He's best known for scaling the CN Tower in opposition of fossil fuels when he was working as an environmental advocate. But he also scaled the house of our premier. So he's Ralph a rock Klein. climber, well, not an engineer. He's a, maybe he'd be better at that. But imagine that. Imagine somebody going and taking a criminal offense, going onto the roof of a premier, and then they make that person in charge of trying to dictate to us how to pull our resources out of ground, how to manage our natural resources, how to, how to manage our electricity grid. That's what Justin Trudeau has done. So I'm trying to get him fired, and I would love your help on that. It just, it seems like for, for decades, the kind of rich kid lifestyle liberalism that now dominates everything was confined to kind of sociology departments at liberal arts colleges. Who made the decision to allow people like that to have control over medical schools, power grids, air, airlines? That seems like a bad idea. Well, I wonder if you've got the same dynamic in, in the U.S. One of the things that I've noticed here as conservatives is that we have vacated all of the opinion-shaping institutions in society. So we vacated the media. The media is now almost, with the exception of some of the alternative media I mentioned, they are almost all of a particular mindset, a progressive mindset. Uh, the, the universities, and Dr. Peterson speaks of this very well, uh, almost uniformly are they uh, uh, of an ideology that penalizes kids, quite frankly. If they want to write a paper about conservatism, they get marked down. You hear about that regularly. If you look at Hollywood, uh, Hollywood's terrible when it comes to the messages and how they portray conservatives, how they portray capitalism. Uh, and I think as well, we have increasingly become urbanized. And so I, I suppose when you get disconnected from the land, disconnected from something real, disconnected from the dirty jobs, then do you understand that when you turn the lights on it, the, they, they only work because of everything that is happening out in the rural area. When you go in and fill up your car, it's only happening because of we've been able to have people who are developing our natural resources. I, I think that's one of the disconnects that, that we end up having. That's, I think that's such a smart analysis and totally true. But providing electricity to your population is not some kind of like boutique add-on you get if you pay extra taxes. That's like a baseline requirement of being a state. And if you can't provide electricity, you're a failed state, right? I think you may be surprised to hear me uh, praise Michael Moore because I think he has done more to recalibrate what we need to be thinking about with electricity. Prior to his movie, Planet of the Humans, uh, I think there was this ideology that all you had to do is put up wind and solar and batteries and you get free electricity. 
And I think people actually believed that that was true. They, they didn't talk about the intermittency, nor did they talk about the fact that wind and solar aren't, aren't truly carbon neutral. I mean, you can't make a, a wind turbine without steel. Lots of carbon that goes into that. Fiberglass as well, lots of carbon that goes into that. The cement at the base, there's lots of carbon that goes into that. And the truckloads that it takes to get it to site, all of that is gasoline and diesel. But that's the kind of the piece that he put together is he realized that you can't have wind and solar without a heavy reliance on fossil fuels. And I think it blew up the paradigm. And so now we're beginning to have a more honest conversation about what that looks like. But I think that there is this fantasy thinking that because people don't know how things work, that they believe that the, these simplistic solutions that are offered by politicians are actually achievable. And it makes it harder for, for conservatives and politicians who do have to actually make things work to kind of bust through, especially when you've got the media stacked against you and trying to get the message out, and try to make people realize that these things matter. We can transition over time to reduce emissions so that we have less impact on the environment, and that's all great. But affordability and reliability have got to be top of mind for anybody making decisions that impact people's lives. So you literally have no solar-powered steel furnaces in Canada? Not one. Okay. Um, la last question, because we're almost out of time, and I'm, again, so thankful that you're willing to do this. Where do you think this goes? It, you, you just said that your province, which is the, the energy-rich province of your country, uh, was almost out of electricity just recently. So does this, if at the current trajectory, you know, it'll be Bolivia in terms of its power grid, at what, does that get better soon or does it continue to get, what, like, what's your projection? Well, fortunately we do have people who have soldiered on and are going to bring on new uh, baseload uh, natural gas power in the new year. So that will stabilize on that front. Yeah, um, we, we also, I mean, I would like to, to take a page out of, the, of, of what the Americans are doing, really, because on, on the one hand, the federal leadership is talking along the same lines that... Oh, I've noticed. But look what's happening. America has become the largest producer of oil and gas for export in that same period of time while all of the politicians have said they're going in an op the opposite direction. So I think we should just double down and decide we're going to double our oil and gas production because... <laughs> Because truly, like where else does America want to get its oil from? Do you want to get it from Iran? Do you want to get it from Venezuela? Or well, do you we want are. to get it from safe Canada? So I think that we can do a lot to make sure that the Americans know that we are here to provide energy security. We are a great friend, great ally, great neighbor. And we just need to get the political leadership to realize that we are a friend. Then my three-word piece of advice would be stop being embarrassed about who you are. You have nothing to be embarrassed about at all. That's great advice. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks, Doc. Wait, can I say one last thing? You said CBC is in the room, the state media. I would love to do an interview. Hold on. I would love to do an interview with CBC. Meet me backstage. I dare you to put it on TV. Thanks. <laughs>